0: Hello, this is Andrew Brewer. I am the host of the Healthcare Insights in Northwest North Carolina podcast brought to you by Northwest Area Health Education Center at Wake Forest School of Medicine. Today I have Dr. Joel Miller, who is a OBGYN Physician, retired, I do believe, and uh, we're going to talk to him today about his experience and his relationship to the AHEC and his experience uh, as a resident in Hickory and a long-time practicing OBGYN physician. Um, So with that, welcome, Dr. Miller, and I'm just going to ask you to give us a brief introduction and maybe a little bit about how you... Uh, Got involved in medicine, and and uh, you know how how your career began, and we'll go from there. How's that sound? Thank you, Andrew. Happy to be with you today. Um, Well,
1: as you said, I'm Joel Miller. I am now retired, as you said. I came to Hickory to begin my practice when I finished my residency in 1978. But in 1977, uh, I first came here as the first resident who came to Hickory from the OBGYN department, and um, that all got set up. Uh, well, I don't guess I know all the all the behind the scenes workings that took place, but. If I recall correctly, I was here uh, January, February, and March of 77, here meaning Hickory. Um, Sometime prior to that, I would think a few months, I came to Hickory with Dr. Frank Grice and Dr. Joe May, and we met with some of the OBGYN physicians who were practicing in Hickory at that time. There had been some behind-the-scenes work prior to that to, to start uh, looking into the possibility of sending residents to Hickory. But that day when we came up here, uh, I think most of the relationship was finalized. And uh, they agreed to send a resident uh, to Hickory for about three months at a, st- at a stint. And um, the physicians here agreed to take part in our training. And it was a marvelous experience that went on for quite a long time. I would say until 15 or 20 years ago. Um. Uh, somebody else would need to check me on those exact dates, <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it really was a, a phenomenal opportunity, and quite frankly, it led to my being in Hickory. I did not know at that time where I would end up practicing, but one of the two groups that practiced at. Catawba Valley Medical Center, which was Catawba Memorial Hospital at that point before the name change, Uh, one of the groups was looking for a new partner, and I got to know them. They got to know me, and things worked out well, and when I finished my residency a little over a year later, I came to Hickory and was here until I retired. Well, I'm still here, but uh, (laughs) I practiced here until I retired.
0: Now, where, where did you come from originally? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Statesville.
1: Uh, I left Statesville at age 18 and went to Wake Forest. I stayed uh, at Bowman Grave for medical school, and I stayed there and did my residency. So I spent 12 years in Winston-Salem. I moved from there to Hickory and have not moved since. So you kind of in the same neighborhood anyway, right? That's correct. In fact, I tell people frequently that I've never spent any longer than two and a half weeks, any farther than 75 miles from where
0: I sit right now. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Now, what got you interested in OBGYN as a specialty?
1: Oh, goodness. That's a hard question to answer, and I've been asked it a million times. Uh, I... I enjoyed surgery. In fact, had you asked me uh, probably my junior year in medical school what I thought I would do, I would have probably said general surgery. And there were many factors, but probably two of them that had the greatest influence on me. Uh, During my third year in medical school, we were sent to a community practice at some time or another, and I was sent to a group in Thomasville that was an o b g y n group and I enjoyed my experience there and The physicians there were uh great teachers and spent some time talking to me and One of them I remember one day said, "You know if you like surgery, you really ought to think about maybe doing o b g y n uh They said, you get to do a lot of surgery, but you don't have to do it all day, every day. And so I thought, well, that's probably something I might enjoy. And then uh, between my third and fourth year, when we had a little break in the summer, there was an opportunity to do something called a Duke externship. Um. We got these externships were arranged in a community practice somewhere. And at that time, something you almost certainly don't know, we had a gas crisis and you could not get much gas. Uh, You you could only buy gas depending on the last digit of your license plate uh, on certain days. And you were limited in an amount, so I could not uh, have enough gas to drive to a place very far. So they arranged for me to do this at Forsyth, and there were no medical students at Forsyth at that point, except an occasional one that was arranged with an individual physician. Uh, There were no residents at Forsyth at that point, and so... I worked with all the docs in the OBGYN department and had an absolutely phenomenal summer. Uh, I got exposed to things as a rising fourth-year medical student that just would not have happened in any other situation. So those are probably the two things that most strongly influenced my decision to be an
0: OBGYN. Now, tell me about your first delivery. What was that like? Uh, My
1: first delivery would probably have occurred when I was a third-year student on the OBGYN rotation, but, of course, that was very closely supervised with residents and attending physicians. Probably the first delivery I ever did by myself was during that time at Forsyth uh, when I actually delivered some babies uh, when I would be there and the OBGYN attending physicians uh, weren't there. Uh, So that's probably the first solo delivery I ever
0: did. Do you remember how you felt at that time? Were you nervous? Absolutely. Scared to death. <laughs> and I, I very uh,
1: specifically remember one young lady who came in uh, who had had no prenatal care and presented to the emergency department in very active labor. And they brought her up to labor and delivery very quickly and she had a premature infant that was a breach presentation which presents all kinds of potential problems and she was going to deliver come hell or high water I mean it was very imminent and I delivered that baby as a as a breach of uh, and probably didn't know enough at that point to really be as scared to death as I should have been. <laughs> but later I became quite apprehensive, but everything went fine. Uh, she was fine. The baby ended up doing well, but uh, but that was one of those early deliveries that I remember very uh, s- specifically. Sometimes ignorance
0: is bliss, right? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> well, what have you learned? Um or let me ask you this. What did you learn about women that you had not known until you had spent time delivering their babies?
1: Now now that's about as loaded a question as you could come up with, Andrew. <laughs> oh my. Well, obviously I learned one heck of a lot about uh uh, about gynecologic physiology and and uh, and OBGYN in general, and uh, y- you know, I mean, uh, I I learned a whole specialty, <laughs> uh, but about the psychological makeup of women,
0: they're much better than we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? Let, let me uh, flip that to the other side. What have you learned about men? <laughs>
1: uh, that they probably don't give women the respect that they definitely deserve.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, they, they do something that is, uh, far beyond our capabilities and something that's, uh, very, uh, important for the continuation of the human species. So (laughs) they just Uh, definitely deserve, (laughs) they definitely deserve all the respect we can give them. um, so you've practiced in Hickory for 40 years. Um what what did you notice? What has changed since you started and and what are some of the biggest uh you know some of the biggest things that you noticed that evolved um over time as healthcare has become such a, a business and specialties just get more specialized and you, you know care gets more segmented and all that. Do you can you riff on that for a little bit?
1: Oh my <laughs> this this answer could go on all day. I mean the the specialty advanced tremendously from uh 1978 to now. Uh surgical techniques, surgical procedures. I mean uh, when I was in my residency laparoscopy was in its infancy. And now we're doing extremely complicated procedures, laparoscopically. Uh, Nobody ever thought of a surgical robot. Uh, You know, when I was a resident and now robotic surgery is a very uh, important part of uh, gynecologic surgical practice. Uh, And certainly the um, you, you mentioned the economics of medicine and and how uh, how healthcare is paid for that in the entire practice of medicine in this country has changed dramatically uh
0: since i started uh and has that had negative effects on recruiting new physicians to rural areas and and to just general practice of of um, you know prenatal care and and even labor and delivery in in rural areas? I mean you know as complex as things have gotten and has as uh, you know, somewhat, I guess, prohibitive. I'm kind of answering my own question there, but prohibitive as far as insurance, medical malpractice, and, and all the associated business aspects to opening up a practice. You know, what have you seen take place over your career that that uh, has been good and then also has been uh, maybe negative? and And how do you see uh, that needing to evolve um, in the future?
1: Well, I was quite frankly concerned as uh, practicing medicine became more complicated and payment systems became more difficult. But um, I have known the last two or three heads of admission at the medical school. And I would ask those questions frequently about, are we discouraging qualified people from going to medical school because of all of these uh, headaches that, that have arisen. And I have been reassured by every one of those heads of admission that we are still getting nothing but the cream of the crop as far as applicants to medical school The number of applicants for each position that we have has increased just tremendously over the years. And so I think we can still be very reassured that we are getting top quality people in medicine. Now, one of the biggest changes, though, that has occurred is that very few people, Uh, in medicine in general, but I think especially in OBGYN. Very few people manage their own practices now. Uh, Lots of practices are owned by uh, networks like hospitals. Uh, The practice that I had been in from uh, the very beginning until I retired is now in a practice management physician-owned large group that's over several states. So that aspect of medicine has changed tremendously. And really, uh, it's unusual now to see an OBGYN group that is uh, managing its own practice. And there have been good things about that. Physicians Uh, get rid of some of the headaches, Uh, but I think there have been some some negative effects to that, too. But it's kind of the way the world is right now.
0: Yeah, I I asked your friend and colleague, Dr. Ting, uh, a similar question about autonomy. and, And, you know, it's on one hand, you'd think that the business and insurance and all that, all the headache goes away that would free you up to... Uh, apply your, you know, your skills in in medicine. Um, On the other hand, do the requirements and the, you know, the procedures and the dictates from uh, the health systems and the the governing bodies and all that, does that kind of reduce the autonomy that doctors have to be problem solvers and, you know, and do things as they see fit or versus following, you know, dictated algorithms that, that, that correspond with billing codes, let's say.
1: Well, there's certainly some of that. I mean, I think physicians still when it comes to the practice of medicine, uh, are reasonably free to do the things, uh, that they think they should professionally, but I, I mean, there are certainly uh, many protocols that you have to follow. Uh, some of those are were dictated by medical staffs themselves before uh, health systems own practices. Um, but certainly the ability to make your own business decisions, to negotiate your own contracts with uh, third-party payers and so forth, uh, that's gone away. And some of that is absolutely good. I mean, that was one of the great headaches in running a medical practice. But it also uh, limits what you can do. Uh, we had excellent uh business managers in our practice when we ran it ourselves they did a great job protecting our payments from third-party payers uh and so as an individual practice you've now lost that when you're managed by somebody else
0: yeah thanks for that um so switch gears a little bit um you know, now that you're retired, um, you know, how are you filling up your time? I see that, you know, you were, uh, uh, you know, if philanthropy and uh, mentorship and things like that. Tell us about those kinds of things and what else you're doing now that you're retired. Well, there's, there's nothing I'm doing on an absolute everyday
1: basis by any means. I, I still do a little bit of teaching. There was a PA program at Lenore Ryan University here in Hickory. I did their OBGYN curriculum for, I think, three years. They have now voluntarily paused their certification because they didn't have enough clinical spots for their second year students. So I'm no longer doing that. I spent a couple years part-time with the Wake Forest PA program, uh, teaching a couple days a week on the Boone campus, the Appalachian State campus, uh, that I enjoyed a lot. But just the travel uh, got to be too much a hassle. In two years, we had one very nice winter, which was uh, made it very easily, and then we the second year, we had a horrible winter, and it made getting back and forth tough, and I just said, I can't do this. Um, I still do some delivery training sessions with the PA students in Winston-Salem between their first and second year, and I do two or three um Classes about OBGYN related topics with the PA school down there. Uh, and then I dabble in other things. I'm a sports nut and I go to all the Wake Forest football and basketball games and some baseball games. I am a fly fisherman and uh, haven't fished as much because I haven't taken many trips in the COVID era. Uh, I dabble with amateur photography and some things like that.
0: Well, it sounds like you're keeping busy. That's great. Um, do you miss delivering babies? Uh, yeah, in some ways I, I miss the patients. I, I'm,
1: uh, the patient contact was the amazing part of the specialty. And there is a closeness, uh, that you develop with patients, in obstetrics that you do not see in any other specialty, or at least that's, that's my opinion. Um, but when I decided to retire, I walked away and I really haven't had any regrets. Um, I think I retired before I lost any skills and I had always told myself that I would not practice after, um, after I lost any of my abilities. And I think I think I quit early enough that that was not a problem. Uh, so some aspects of it I miss, but a lot of the headaches I don't miss at all. And uh, I don't wake up in the morning saying, I wish I could go to the office and work all day.
0: <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, recognizing when you're on the top of your game and, and, and knowing when it's time to go, that's, that takes a lot of courage and a lot of, a lot of honor. So we definitely appreciate that. Um, so t- back to your AHEC experience, you, you went to Hickory and, and you were housed by, as the way I understand it, housed by a AHEC sponsored housing, um, which is how we get people into those areas and, um, the mm-hmm. seamlessly and frictionlessly to, to perhaps practice in places they wouldn't ordinarily choose for themselves. Um, what other, uh, Uh, experience if you had with AHEC, say, like with continuing education throughout your career?
1: Well, our, you know, we have an AHEC center here in Hickory, and there were lots of continuing ed opportunities that were made available through AHEC at times. Uh, The other thing, uh, the residents from Wake Forest continued to come to Hickory. I was the first, but that went on for many many years and that was a great experience to serve as a mentor for those residents Uh, i think it was a great experience for us uh practicing in hickory but it was also a wonderful experience for the residents as they came here Mm
0: -hmm. thank you for that um so uh let's see where i want to go from here um what, uh, I, I have to throw these kind of questions in. What, what, what advice, uh, and insight would you give to young aspiring medical students who are trying to choose which specialty to go into? Oh, my.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody's personality is different. Uh, it's like I correspond with a friend who, uh, was an anesthesiologist in Canada uh, a long story as to how we met, but we bounce email messages back and forth every couple of days. And, uh, you know, he, he admits he's very introverted and as an anesthesiologist that suited him fine. Uh, I am very extroverted and, uh, I, I definitely wouldn't have been happy in a specialty without patient contact like pathology and probably wouldn't have been happy in a specialty uh, with limited patient contact uh, or at least awake patient contact like in anesthesiology. So you need to find a specialty that fits with your personality type And you need to find a specialty that utilizes your skills. Uh, There are some people who are not going to be great surgeons no matter how hard they try. And there are other people that have a, uh, a natural inclination and have skills that make them excellent surgeons. So you have to take things like that into account when you're going to
0: Decide what specialty you might. Uh, practice. Well, I appreciate that. I think it, it seems like uh, common sense, but uh, I think sometimes we forget how important matching our personalities with our, with our craft is. And I think of all the OBGYN physicians, I know that every one of them is an extrovert. So I think that that matches well with that personality type. So, <laughs> and you're no exception.
1: I think that's, Pretty true. There, there are some exceptions, but uh, but I think by and large, it is a specialty for extroverts who like other people.
0: Well, also, you know, being there at, at such a you know beautiful time in in a woman and a family's life um, to bring new life in, um, you know that that certainly creates a bond, uh, you know, with you know, otherwise a stranger, their physician, or, you know, not really family member, but I think there's a special bond created. Do you, do you get like thousands of Christmas cards at (laughs) Christmas (laughs) time?
1: No, I don't think anybody is sending thousands of Christmas cards (laughs) anymore. Uh, I mean, I still see people in the grocery store and a patient I'll remember and she'll say, she'll point to her, 18 year old kid who's with her and say, Do you remember this one? And I said, Well, you know, he's really changed a little since he was poor. <laughs> so, I mean, that still happens frequently. And yeah. just like you said, and like I said earlier, there is a relationship between a patient you care for in obstetrics that I don't think you see in any other aspect of medicine.
0: Well, I, I think that's so, that's so. Well, I mean, it seems so obvious, but when you think about it, it's like they're there in the medical uh, environment for a very uh, different reason than most people are. Most people are there to treat some illness or whatever, and and you know, delivering a child is giving new birth and creating new life, and it's just this wonderful time. So, uh, you know, that's that's definitely got to to be to be rewarding for someone who's in that every day. Oh,
1: it is, and most of the time it's a very happy experience. But uh, you know, there can be some uh, very emotionally trying experiences in obstetrics too, when things don't go well, when there are things like um, uh, birth defects that you encounter in a in a, a unborn baby or a baby after it's born. I mean those can be very trying both professionally and emotionally.
0: Well yeah, I mean it's, with life comes death and and you know I've I've seen my three children, you know, at the moment of their entry to the world and it you know it it, it it's like you're on pins and needles cuz you know it's it's like you you're praying that everything's going to go smoothly and you know that Things do happen, and, and things can, can, can go off um, into other directions. So it is, it is that moment of life and death. So it's, it's, it's got to be both exciting, rewarding, and terrifying at the same time.
1: <laughs> True, and, and certainly obstetrics can turn on a dime. You can go from what seems like the easiest, most normal delivery in the world, and you can very quickly have horrendous bleeding complications and other complications that um, literally can scare you to death.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um. So what? What? Uh, let's see. In some for some parting shots here. You know what? What? Uh, uh, what keeps you up at night? What do you worry about as far as in the, you know, specifically like, you know, medicine, practicing medicine and, and those kind of things.
1: Well, almost nothing keeps me up at night now, <laughs> uh, other than when uh, Wake Forest loses a close basketball game that I thought they should have won. <laughs> uh, I mean, my whole career, the night before I had surgery scheduled, the next day I would sleep poorly, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that was true. Even with procedures that I did frequently, I I still worried. Uh, so those worries are now gone. I don't lay awake at night worrying about what I have to do tomorrow uh, in the OR. Uh, so retirement has cured a lot of that so (laughs) there aren't many things right now that keep me up at night
0: well it seems to be well deserved to get those very restful restful times in retirement that's what it's all for i i guess um tell me about fly fishing what is about fly fishing that, that, that that draws you in oh my uh it is not just
1: regular fishing By any means, it is much more active. Uh, I've heard people describe uh, typical bait fishing as a jerk on one end waiting for a jerk on the other. (laughs) But with fly fishing, uh, you have to think. It's a very active sport. Um, The whole key to being successful is learning to... Uh, Figure out what the fish are eating and what trout are eating one day or one hour compared to another day or another hour can be totally different. Insects on streams hatch at different times, and they're different species of insects. And if the trout are seeing lots of tiny little mayflies and you're tossing out a large caddis fly imitation, they will pay you no attention. And so you have to learn some of those tricks, and then you have to learn to present that fly at the right spot in the right way. If a fly drags across the water and doesn't float with the current, the fish are darn smart. They They will realize that's not something that they should be eating. So it's it's a challenge, and it's just a phenomenal sport. And you catch some of the most beautiful creatures on Earth, and if you do it correctly, you release them all. And if you take care of them properly when you release them, you're going to have nearly 100% survival. And you get to do it in pretty beautiful places, I imagine. Yep. One of my favorite expressions
0: is, Trout do not live in ugly places. (laughs) That's wonderful. It's like an art and a dance and music all at once. Yeah. in in with with nature. Well, uh, do you have any questions for me before we wrap it up? Mm, Not that I think of right now. Well, I want to just say thank you so much for your time this morning and, and thanks for your service. And and I really, it was an honor to spend this time chatting with you and, and hope you enjoy the many, many, many years ahead of you in retirement and fly fishing and, and all the things. So we appreciate you.
1: Well, thank you. And thanks to AHAC for,
0: uh, all
1: the education they afforded me and, uh, actually, for finding me the practice that I ended up uh, being with for somewhere around forty-three or four years. So.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, we as we move into the fiftieth year of this the, the statewide system for the AHEC, we're we're really uh, honored to reach out and find people like you who have been affected um, so positively with that and can continue to carry that message. So again, we appreciate it. Well, thank you.